chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, towards the end of the chapter, and this is kind of an interesting passage of Scripture because Jesus is going to kind of take on the uh, mantle of a prophet, and he's going to challenge. Prophets did a lot of things. They spoke ultimately the word of God, but they would challenge the people of that day to repent, to come back to the Lord when they had walked away, and sometimes they would bless them. They would, they would usually, what was coming out of the mouth of a prophet was blessings or cursings. Usually they were saying, blessed, you guys will be blessed, and here's why, or, or woe to you. And when they said woe, a prophet, we, we should hear that like a child hears their first crack of thunder. Okay, you ever seen kids the first time there's just a big crack of thunder and they're just, you know, they're looking for a place to hide. They have no idea where that came from, where, but they just instinctively know that that was really loud and I should be frightened and they want to hide, right? And when we hear the woes, we're kind of like, well, that's like, is it like a cowboy or something? Whoa, horseback riding? What is he doing? No, this is a prophet saying, um, in speaking a word of, of warning and calling people to repentance, and that is what Jesus is about to do. Now, to give you the context of this, uh, I want you to think about this. I, many of you, if we were to raise hands here, probably the majority of you, maybe I would say over half of you, grew up in uh, religious homes. Not everybody, probably maybe a third of you or a fourth of you, maybe less than that, 10, 20%, did not grow up in religious homes. You didn't have the things of God taught to you regularly. You weren't going to church. Um, you didn't, that wasn't a part. But but the majority of you, that probably was the case, particularly growing up in this part of the country, if you grew up in this part of the country. And, and I want you to know that that is a blessing to have things taught to you and to have a foundation of so that so that when you become an adult, you're not, even if you didn't really live it or what, you, you have a foundation, you're not pulling from just um, no knowledge or experience, but you have some knowledge and experience of the things of God. You've been taught the word of God. You've been taught stories of the Bible. And, um, and so you have some information there. But as much as that can be a blessing, it also can be a curse. Because what happens is so often the Bible is taught as this little happy stories that, you know, yeah, there's this, this, this big fish and this guy that was a prophet and he thrown off a boat and the big fish came and swallowed him up and then swam and spit him onto the shore and then he went and he preached to the people and told them to repent and they repented and it was really crazy we tell a story of jonah and it's just a story and we don't teach it as as man this really happened and here's why i think it happened jesus taught it as it happened jesus didn't view it as a funny little cute uh kid story that's to be passed down a little um you know interesting little proverbial story that has some neat truths to it that you can now, I mean, Jesus thought that, yeah, that, that, that happened. That was his view. It's how he presented it. In fact, he used that to explain how he was going to be um, dead, buried for three days, and then would be uh, resurrected. Just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for 30 day, three days, I'm going to be in, um, dead for three days. And so uh, there's a lot of stuff in the Old Testament we, we have turned into, well, it's just a story. I mean, who knows? I mean, God creates the world. I mean, I Parts the Red Sea, Jesus walks in water. I mean, did that stuff really happen? I mean, could that really? And we turn it into this mythology. That's one problem. Another thing is we hear these things so much that we become uh, immune to it. Immune to it. It's kind of like getting an antibiotic. Okay, you ever got an antibiotic and you, you know that they, the doctors hopefully made a big deal about, okay, this is, this is a 10-day um, supply of amoxicillin or whatever it is. Uh, you need to take all 10 pills. Don't just take three of them and then you start feeling better and you stop because what you end up doing is you don't take the full do dose. You don't fully, um, you know, kill the, the, the virus and then it's going to come back uh, and it's stronger because it begins to 
not be affected by the uh, medicine. And so a little bit of Jesus, believe it or not, can be hazardous for your health. Hence, hence the title, hazardous. Exposure to Jesus may be dangerous. Jesus is not, hear me, a cute, cuddly, fun, happy character that we can crawl up in his lap and make some wishes and tell him what we want for Christmas or whatever other time of the year or whatever we want and then go about our way. Jesus never presented himself in that way. When Jesus stepped onto the earth, there was no, you know, yeah, he was a good teacher. Yeah, I mean, he was good stuff. Jesus had some good stuff. He was a prophet. He was a, the, the people view him today, people, nobody would say Jesus is a crazy, maniac, weirdo. Nobody would say that. Nobody would say that. that people, people, there might be people who say he doesn't exist, but very few learned people that have any remote knowledge of history would ever say that. No learned person would ever say that. Only a fool would say Jesus never existed, that who has no understanding of, of history. But most people who don't follow Jesus would be quick to say he was a good man. He was a good teacher. He was a good this, a good that, a good this. And the the thing is, Jesus really doesn't give you that option. He doesn't give you that option. C.S. Lewis famously in the book Mere Christianity, he put it this way. He said, Jesus, he is either a Lord or he's a liar or he's a lunatic. He's a liar. He claimed to be God. If he's a liar, he claimed to be God, and he tried to get people to follow him as God, but he was lying to them. He knew very well that he was not God, and he deceived multitudes of people to the point where even today the deception continues to be spread throughout the world that Jesus is Lord, and he lied to the first followers, and and they've been lying ever since. He's a liar. The other option is, is that he was a lunatic. He was really crazy. He was like David Koresh. You might not even know who that is. He was a crazy lunatic who really thought he was God. In fact, C.S. Lewis says he was a crazy lunatic on the level of a poached egg, is how he describes it, um, 50 years ago. He, he was a crazy, nutty lunatic who thought he was God to the point where he had these grandiose, messianic thoughts of himself and he ended up getting killed and died on a cross. But... You know, he was an interesting guy. And so what? Either he was a liar, he was a lunatic, or possibly could he have been Lord? If he wasn't Lord, he was a liar, or he was crazy, because he claimed to be God. So the only other logical option is he's Lord. In which case, C.S. Lewis says that we should surrender, bend, fall on our knees, and worship him. And that's Jesus, because Jesus in the Bible was never presented as an option he was presented as a crossroads either you you fall and worship him or you are crushed by him but you cannot just he's there's no way to push him in the corner and dress him up to be some pretty little um you know atmospheric uh person that's going to just make life happier he's a little trinket that you put a little bobblehead you put on your dashboard or or you 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 hang from your little mirror or a little air freshener you can put somewhere in your house that's jesus we just marginal just put him in and he's just there for atmosphere having a little bit of jesus just makes life let's put crosses up all over our houses and wear them whatever because it just makes me feel happier having the cross makes me just Think about traditions or whatever. That Jesus did not give us that option. Anybody who treats him that way has not read the Bible, which is the most talked about book nobody's ever read. Everybody's got an opinion on the Bible, but very few people know much about it. 
which is why we, we're very diligent to try to teach it verse by verse every week. But let me go a step further. Not only is the Bible the most talked about book nobody's ever read, Jesus is the most talked about person who people have, few, too few people have really taken an honest look at who Jesus was and what he taught. And let, me, let me read this passage for you and maybe this will wake us up to how important it is to think wise about what we do with Jesus. Verse 20 of chapter 11. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazan! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done had been uh, done in you had been done for Tyre and Sidon, then they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, they would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. The reality of what he's talking about here is, is apathy. And apathy defined simply as this. It's a lack of interest or concern, especially regarding matters of general importance or appeal or indifference. A lack of emotion or feelings or impassiveness. I think the problem with society is that we are very apathetic towards the claims and the reality and the person of Jesus. Apathetic. It's, think about that. Lack of interest or concern, especially regarding matters of general importance or appeal. We're indifferent. It's that people aren't... Don't, they don't really hate Jesus. They don't have a problem with Jesus. They're just, they're just indifferent towards Jesus. And yet he happens to be the matter of most importance. The most critical person in world history, the most important person, you have to deal with Jesus and decide what you're going to do with him because it will affect the rest of your life. And we, we become apathetic towards him. We're kind of just anesthetized by it. We're just like, yeah, we're immune to it. Yeah, Jesus. I mean, he's yeah, he's cool. He's cool. And you said, well, no, not me. I am a Christian. I love Jesus. I grew up Sunday school, Bible study, VBS, whatever. I mean, are you really? I mean, are you real? Is Are you not apathetic too? Do I not struggle with apathy too? In, in doing a study of Christians in America, particularly looking at 20 and 30 somethings, I believe, they, they, uh, one guy, he diagnosed Christians, those who profess to be Christians in America, to be therapeutic moralistic deists. Therapeutic meaning we're all about what can help us, self-help. Jesus, help me. Can he help me? Oh, I don't want Jesus. Let me find a little Jesus. I listen to, um, you know, so maybe you've, many of you guys have heard the story or the book um, by Mark Batterson, which I think is a good guy. I don't have a problem with Mark Batterson, but he wrote a book called Prayer Circles, and somebody was just talking about praying for their kids. Basically, the premise is you, you kind of draw a circle, either literally or figuratively, and you pray around certain things that are really important to you, and you just really pray, pray, pray for those things. And, and I, I, I'm all about people praying more. I think that's awesome. But this person was referring to their kids. They're like, you know, I read that book and I've just, I'm praying circles around. I've prayed circles around my kids. I've done, it's like box checked. I've prayed circles so I know they're going to be all right. Well, how you raise them might have a factor. And I'm so fired up that you're praying. I think that's awesome. Or that you prayed. But uh, there's a lot of other factors that go into that in addition to praying. 
Okay? It's like the person leaning on the shovel going, God, I just pray you dig the ditch. Make a hole there, Father. I have faith that you can make a hole there. And, and I mean, maybe have faith that God will give you the energy and the breath and the empowerment to, to you know, maybe burn some calories and dig it yourself. I mean, God gave somebody the wisdom to make a shovel. Use it. Pray for empowerment. Praise God for somebody making a shovel. It'd be a lot harder with a spoon. I mean, thank the Lord that somebody, you know, but, but we just, you know, I, so it's like I'm going to neglect really baking into my kids the things I need to do and doing all the other stuff the Word has taught me to do about my children, but I'm going to pray a circle around them. I'll do that, and that'll catch it all. What is that? That's apathy. That is apathy. You're missing some things there, right? And that's the way we deal with Jesus. We're apathetic towards the things of God. And so apathy, I'm thinking about this, and looking at this passage, he says, okay, then he began to denounce the cities where he had um, done most of his mighty works. He had done lots of miracles. And those miracles, the mighty works, were signs that God was working in their midst. They had seen abundant evidence that God was working in their midst and had done incredible things among them. But they didn't repent. They just stood back and watched these things of general and vital importance, and they were apathetic towards them. They refused to surrender, yield their lives. They were like, man, that is awesome, Jesus, healing some sick people. Wonderful, Jesus. That was really good. Did you see him feed the 5,000? Woo, that was sick. awesome. That was really, that was super cool. Did you see that? Did you see that? Did you see that? It's just like the way we talk about sitcoms and the latest show and the latest not in reality, reality show that we watch. Not so reality, reality. They were the same way with Jesus. We always find things to amuse us. They can be good things. They can be bad things. But we find things to amuse us, to entertain us, and to continue to keep us in our apathy. And yet, uh, he goes on, Woe to you, Chorazin. Chorazin was a city that was two miles north of Capernaum. Capernaum's on the Sea of Galilee. Um, Chorazin. Uh, was a famous city in Jesus' time, known for their wheat, uh, and they ceased to be inhabited about the 3rd century, so not really on the map since then. Um, then Bethsaida was known as the House of Fish. It's right on the, the sea there, northeast sea of, northeast shore of Galilee, um, home of Peter, Philip, and Andrew. This is where the feeding of the 5,000 took place. Woe to you, Chorazon. Woe to, woe to you, Bethsaida. If the mighty works done for you were done in Tyre and Sidon. Now, Tyre and Sidon, okay, if we were to look at a map, I should have put one up there for you, but you've got the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, and then you have Israel, the nation of Israel, up um, right there. And then in within that nation is the Sea of Galilee. The Jordan River flows down to the Dead Sea. And so all these cities are up there on the Sea of Galilee. But then up here, a little further north, up on the left here, on the, sea of, on the Mediterranean Sea, were the cities of Tyre and Sidon. And in the cities of Tyre and Sidon, Jesus never, he never made a road trip there, never got there. And he was saying, you know, these wicked, Gentile, evil cities that have been a nuisance in the nation to the nation of Israel from the beginning, they constantly were a problem for the nation of Israel. They constantly were causing problems. In fact, the prophets preached against them in Amos and in, and in Isaiah. There's several places where those cities were challenged because of their wickedness, because of the things that they had done to wound and hurt the Jewish people, the, the nation of Israel. And, and yet he is saying, if these Gentile cities, if they had seen the abundance of evidence of God working in their midst 
as they did, then they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. That's where they would put on very humble clothes and they would, um, they would lay among or rest among or sit among ashes and put ashes all over them just in a sign of outward, uh, outwardly expressing the, 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 the feelings of their heart. Just in grief and mourning. They would be broken over their sin. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment. Get this thought. For Tyre and Sidon than for you. What, what he's saying here is that there's some places in hell that will be hotter than others. It, it is one way of looking at it. The judgment that people will suffer in certain areas depending on how much exposure they had to Jesus, which is why I said at the beginning, be careful with Jesus, because exposure to Jesus could be dangerous. The more Jesus you've had and been apathetic towards, the worse it will be if you have rejected Jesus and you go to hell. In other words, it would be better to die and go to hell from Uzbekistan than it would be to go to hell from East Tennessee. Better for you to die and go to hell in Kyrgyzstan or um, Thailand or Laos than to die and go to hell from this area, from the Bible Belt. Why? Because we've had so much, Jesus. I mean, and for that matter, in our country, I mean, good, now we've seen God do some amazing things in our country. We've seen, you know, there's a little thing called the Great Awakening, okay? That wasn't a time where everybody's along clock was set at the same time and they all woke up and it was really awesome everybody got to work 10 minutes early that day it was just amazing the way they synchronized a lot no the great awakening was where god brought about a time of of repentance and of spiritual movement of revival in our nation that swept the land i mean it shut down wall street and different places business sectors bars okay strip joints all this stuff it all shut down it was all done because nobody was going to spend money and waste it on on evil because god had so captivated the hearts and the minds of people to where everybody was surrendering their lives repenting and trusting jesus that happened in our country in our nation jonathan edwards hello you've heard about that guy the angry preacher I remember being in a class at etsu and a professor we were reading the the sinners in the hands of an angry god and, and the professor was like, you know, some people say this is a nice term, but I, I mean, doesn't it sound very condemning? Sinners in the, hangry, in the hands of an angry God. The message goes like this. He's saying that, that God, we are, you know, God's hands are there and we're hanging on a string of God's grace. Under, and underneath that is the judgment and the wrath of God. And he's going to pour it out. And if we do not relent and repent of our sin, then he will consume us. And he is so graciously, lovingly hanging us on. And they're saying, that's so condemning. And I was like, what are you talking about? There's eminent judgment. And Jonathan Edwards was nice enough to warn people. You are on a bus that is on fire that is about to go off of a cliff. You might want to put the brakes on and get off the bus. That's condemning. That seems kind of loving to me. What are you talking about? Goofy teacher Johnson was her name. Dr. Johnson. Like, what are you talking about? Her husband taught there, too. I don't know if they're probably not alive anymore, but. What are you thinking? What's so gracious of Jonathan Edwards to warn them and praise God by God's grace? And let me tell you, I, I know I'm a boring preacher because half of y'all sleep in here. I'm, I'm assuming it's because of chairs. I'm not sure. But 
But uh, Jonathan Edwards was worse than me. He was sitting there on wooden pews, not even comfortable. They didn't have an excuse to fall asleep. And, and he was just reading his sermon. And, and people were falling on their faces in repentance. I'm telling you, it was a movement of God. God's done that kind of stuff. He has done some mighty works. And, and we, don't even, we don't even read about it. We've taken the, one of the sermon, the single greatest sermon ever preached in our country, and, and even turned that into, oh, it's just condemnation. More than fire and brimstone preachers. What? And, 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 and Christians don't even have a way to articulate. We, we, can't, we fumble so much trying to explain stuff because we're so illiterate biblically. We're so apathetic towards the word of God and the ways of God and the works of God and all the things God has done. We are apathetic. The country is apathetic. The Christians in the Bible Belt are apathetic. And, and at some point, we've got to waken up to the fact that hell's worse when you've had a lot of Jesus and you've rejected it than when you've had no Jesus. Now, does that mean, you know what? It would be better if we just don't take the gospel to people because then at least their judgment won't be as bad as if we took the gospel. Oh, that that's, that's, makes a lot of sense. That's ridiculous, too. I mean, the bottom line is to reject Christ and not follow Jesus. You're going to go to the same place. Not because God's mean, but because God is just and holy and cannot tolerate and excuse sin. He must deal with sin. But it's worse for those who had great opportunity and have rejected. Be careful. Do not play lightly with Jesus. Do, do not think that he's a cute, fuzzy little teddy bear that's good to put on the dashboard in the corner of your room. Either you're going to surrender your life and let him be Lord of your life, or, or you are playing with fire because Jesus is there's no... He's, it's not a game. This is Jesus. He's a creator of the universe. By him, all things have come into being. And nothing came into being that didn't come into being through Jesus. All things were made for him and, and by him and are for him. That Jesus, every knee and every tongue shall bow and confess Jesus is Lord. Jesus, who is the second person of the Trinity, he's as much God as God the Father and God the Spirit, and was willing to lay down the, the expression of his glory and enjoying his godness and to come to this horrible, evil, wicked world and live among us and deal with sinners and tax collectors and yucky, bad people and religious hypocrites. And not only deal with them, but live a perfect life among them and then die on the cross unjustly willingly surrender his life to die on the cross for their sins, not his own. And trusting himself to the Father who did not abandon him but raised him on the third day. And because he was willing to humble himself, not just to the earth, not just to death, but death on the painful, horrible, excruciating cross, crucifixion. Because of that, the Father has exalted him to the highest place where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Jesus is Lord. We should think twice about Jesus. Exposure to him and apathy towards him will be hazardous to your health. He goes on to say, you Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? See, the, the, the question there, and this is interesting, uh, this is, refers back to Isaiah chapter 14. Um, what he's saying there is that apathy flows from pride. Apathy ultimately flows from, flows from pride. And, and let me just make it clear. I don't know what kind of struggle uh, sins you struggle with and what kind of problems you have, but I'm going to tell you what the core sin you and I struggle with, all of us, is called pride. Pride. 
That's your problem. That's my problem. It's pride. Now, it might manifest itself in a lot of different ways, but we try to live life apart from God, and we exalt ourselves. And so that's what he says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, uh, verses 13 through 15. Let me read this for you. Isaiah, Psalms, make a right. Here it is. Chapter 14, verses 13 through 15. It says, how are, uh, let me start with 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, speaking of Satan, when he thought he could be on the throne, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the, of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Sheol is a word for hell. You tried to raise yourself up to heaven, and in sharp contrast to that, you have been brought down to hell. You raised yourself up to heaven, self-exalting yourself in pride, and you have been taken down to hell. And the same thing is being referred to with Capernaum, who the majority of the miracles happened in Capernaum. And so there, he says, this is also a prominent city, tax station, trade route, fishing, farming, a base of operations for most of Jesus' ministry. It was Jesus' headquarters in his ministry up at sea of, near the Sea of Galilee. That was the epicenter of everything he did. And he says, and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Now, I don't know if that means anything to you, but let me just say this. The most wicked city that has ever been listed in the Bible, the example of the standard of wickedness for the Bible. I mean, the, the kind of the, the baseline of, um, you know, you're a wicked city. You're, you're so wicked. You're like and the, the city that all cities are, are pointed back to as the standard of immor- immorality and wickedness. In fact, we even have uh, perversions in our society that we name based upon Sodom. You with me? It is such a wicked, disgusting place. Disgusting. And Jesus says, it will be worse for you, Capernaum, than even wicked Sodom on that day. I'm telling you, be careful that you are apathetic. You're put to sleep by too much Jesus with a not enough Jesus. He, Jesus said right before this, if you have ears to hear, you might want to hear. If you have ears to hear, you need to hear. Be careful what you do with Jesus. Do not marginalize him. So what, do you, what, what does this mean? Warren Wearsby, he's put it this way. He said, where the light shines the brightest, people have the greatest responsibility. There will be degrees of judgment according to the amount of light a person has. It is a new, it was a serious thing to know the truth and to turn from it. This is the point of Hebrews chapter 6. I don't know what kind of background you have, and I don't have time to really develop the passage, but in Hebrews chapter 6 is one of the multiple warning passages in the book of Hebrews. And here's what I believe that Hebrews chapter 6 uh, verse 4, I believe, is saying it's, it's warning people that be careful. Those of you who have tasted of the things of God, you've observed, you've seen what God has done. If you are to if you're to walk away from it, you will not be able to be renewed again to repentance. If you're to walk away from it, 
You won't be renewed to repentance again. And what I think he's talking about is not people who have lost their salvation. And if you want to use that as a proof text that you can lose your salvation, which the Bible, I do not believe, teaches, then what he's saying is you never can get it back on back again. And anybody who uses Hebrews chapter six as a justification for you losing your salvation, they always think that you can get it back. In fact, most of them wear like, um, you know, Nikes or Reeboks to church on Sundays because they're burning the aisle every Sunday, running down rededicating their life, trying to get it back again. No, no, what he's saying in Hebrews chapter 6 is if you lose it, you don't get it back. You can't be renewed to repentance again. It's, it's never going to happen. And what, what I believe he is teaching is he's saying that, look, there's a bunch of you guys out there, this is what the author of Hebrews is saying, you have seen so much of Jesus and heard the teachings and where that you have tasted. I mean, the truths of God have been in your mouth. You've been chewing on it, but you did not swallow it. It will have no benefit for you, and it's not, you're not going to get another opportunity to eat of, or to taste of the bread of life. You're not going to get another opportunity. It's going to be impossible for you to be renewed to repentance, brought to the edge, to the brink of repentance and faith in Jesus. You say, well, how do I know if I haven't passed that point? Well, let me tell you a little secret. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. I don't know where that point is in your life or my life, anybody else's life, but I'll tell you this. Today is a day of salvation. Repent and trust in Jesus. Okay, if, if, if you're hearing me say these things, then you have an opportunity to repent and to follow Christ. Simple. Yeah, I think it's funny. Some people are like, well, I think I've just sinned too much. I'm too far. Oh, okay. Well, so the blood of Jesus is insufficient to cleanse your sins? I don't think so. I mean, if he can forgive Paul a murderer, Moses a murderer, David an adulterer and a murderer, and, and myself, you, uh, other people. I mean, then I, I think that his grace is sufficient to forgive and to deal with your junk. Repent. Turn away from that and yield yourself to King Jesus. Do not play games with Jesus. Surrender yourself to him. Here's the solution for uh, apathy that flows from pride. Is The remedy for it is humility. A couple of verses, we're done. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2, it says, This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The one who I'm going to look on. And, and to say that God is good, it's not like, you know, um, it's not like, you know, hey, Jesus, uh, you, you see what I did? See my little stunt, my little trick, my little jump, my little whatever? It's, it's God's, not just his attention, but his blessings. His face is shining upon. He's looking at them. His affections, his attention, his love, his provisions are upon them. Who is it that God is going to look to and put his affections, his love, his, his compassion, his, his provision? Who, who is it that he's going to look to? Well, here's what Isaiah 66 2 says. He was humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That is the opposite of apathy. Person who's humble and contrite and trembles at the word. Second Chronicles 16, 9 says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose hearts are blameless towards him, are humble towards him. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know how to have humility? Uh, humility isn't something that you can like put on your to-do list for January 1st, okay? You know, I'm going to wait and then... That's going to be on my list this next year is humility. I am going to be humble this next year. I'm going to tell you right now. I will be the most humble person that you have ever. You see how it just doesn't work that way. If you want humility in your life, start thinking less of yourself. More of Jesus. 
the, the only way to have humility is to stop obsessing with yourself. Okay, uh, that, that probably the greatest manifestation of <laughs> lack of humility is social media, to which I just told you to repost. You know, the rescue series on there. You know, so use it, redeem it, use it for good purposes. But if it, if your identity comes from it, and you're constantly trying to get gratification by by posting things that people are like, oh, you're so smart and funny and this and whatever that. I, you know, and if you're obsessed with getting the applause of man, it's you're you're trying to get your bucket filled through people that are just never going to fill it because you're trying to exalt yourself, trying to lift yourself up, trying to feel better about yourself instead of just stop thinking about yourself. Just look for opportunities to encourage other people to look to Jesus. To nothing, pride will not survive in the presence of Jesus. The the goal in the presence of Jesus is to get as low as we can. Just like John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase and allow him to lift you up. Again, James chapter 4, verse 6. You might say, this sounds so, I don't like this biblical worldview stuff. And humility, I don't like what you're saying. You know, it doesn't sound happy and it doesn't sound fulfilling. It doesn't, oh, but it is. Listen to this. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What is grace? Grace is simply undeserved favor. Now, I would like me some undeserved favor. I don't know about you, but I'm all about, I know that wasn't grammatically correct there, but I'm all about some undeserved favor. I need some unmerited, undeserved favor. I need lots of it. I need it to get into heaven. I need it to wake up. I need it to live my day. I need it to be a parent. I need it to provide. I need it for my family. I need to leave my family. I need it to live my life. I need God's grace in every facet of who I am. I need it all. I need lots of God's grace. And so if I want more of God's grace, the best way for me to get it is by not self-exalting myself but humbling myself, thinking less of myself. And because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. That's the point. That's the point. So what do you do with this? There's a lot of things. There's a lot of other questions that might be raised by what we just talked about. But but let me just tell you this. Uh, Do not be complacent. You have been blessed. You've lived in a place where the Bible is freely. We've got so many Bibles. Good night. We don't, you know, we've got... Everybody's probably has multiple Bibles at home. We've got multiple versions on our phones, on our whatever devices. I mean, we, the Bible is, a, we have abundant opportunities. The Word is taught to you weekly, other places you can get the Word of God. But man, do not be apathetic about these things. And understand that we have a world around us that lives in this part of the world where if, if we were, should be burdened for the lostness of unreached people groups, which I think we should, that the gospel will go to people that don't have access to it yet. We should equally be greatly concerned about those who are going to die and go to hell in apathy. Because it'll be worse for them on that judgment day than it will be for Tyre and Sidon and Sodom. May we be more motivated to pray for and to share humbly but boldly with the lostness of the society, the culture that we live in. Let's pray. Father. If there's anybody here that doesn't have a right relationship with you, God, they have not repented and put their faith and trust in Jesus. They have played games with you. They've been apathetic towards Jesus and they have been awakened from that and they now know that they must deal wisely with Jesus. I pray that you would awaken them this morning to that reality, that they would know and that they would come talk to me at the the back of the room this morning or, or in the lobby after the service, God, that they would not play games with Jesus. And then for all those of us that 
that we, we know that we know that we know Jesus. May we think less of ourselves, God. May you bring about humility in our lives that Jesus would be greater that as we decrease, that you would increase. And then, Father, would you awaken us to the lostness of the world, of those who have been lulled to sleep by a little bit of Jesus, but never having the whole thing. Those who have tasted the bread of life, but, but have never digested it into their life, and they will die and go to hell. Many of them with false security, thinking that they may be fine, just like the nation of Israel thought that they were fine. They were the apple of God's eye. They, they, they were your people. And yet Jesus confronted them with the fact that they, it was going to be worse for them than the surrounding nations. God, may be awakened to the lostness and the need for us to boldly share the gospel, not just with the pagans and rebels of our culture, but with the hyper-religious who have marginalized Jesus in exchange for moralism and their own self-righteousness. Give us the words to say. In Jesus' name, we respond, we give. Amen.